0: Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. Cause you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks, this is Voss here from the Chris Voss The Chris Hey, we've got an amazing author on the show today. Uh you're gonna your mind's gonna be blown on what you're gonna learn today, and you're gonna learn so much stuff. You know, you're going to be more sexy to uh, all the people in your life. They're just going to be like, you have this glow of intelligence and sexiness that just emulates off you. Is emulate the right word? I don't even know what I'm talking about. We improv the ramble every time, folks. You have been here for the last 13 years. That's what we do. We try and make something funny. Sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's stupid. And sometimes the stupid is funny. I don't know what it means. Anyway, guys, welcome to the show. Uh, we have the newest book that's coming out November 15th, 2022, personality and power builders and destroyers of modern Europe. Uh, we're going to be talking about this amazing book today, history. The most important thing you can learn about history is the, or let's see, what's my old saying? The one thing man can learn about his history is that man never learns about his history. Thereby we just keep repeating it. So. You want to learn history so that you don't keep repeating it, people. Let's try and do that one of these decades, centuries, years. Uh, the folly of man, if you will. Uh, in the meantime, you know the drill. Go to Goodreads.com for Chess Chris Voss to see everything we're reading or reviewing over there. Go to our groups on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube.com for Chess Chris Voss. You see everything that's going on there for the show to your family, friends, and relatives as well. Ian Kershaw is on the show with us today. He is the leading disciple of German historian Martin Borschat. And until his retirement, he was a professor at the University of Sheffield. He's also a sir. He's been knighted by the queen. So uh, we want to pay him some uh, 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 some uh, ultra respect just in case, I don't know, uh, Britain decides to invade us. Uh, we don't want that happening. Uh, Kershaw was named, or uh, was called, uh, or Kershaw has called Borschat an inspirational mentor who did much to shape his understanding of Nazi Germany. He served as a historical advisor on numerous BBC documentaries, notably The Nazis, A Warning from History, and War of the Century. He taught a module titled *Hit Germans Against Hitler. Uh, he was born in 1943. He's an English historian whose work has chiefly been focused on social history of the 20th century Germany. He's regarded as many of one of the world's leading experts on Adolf Hitler and Nazi Germany, is particularly noted for his biographies of Hitler. Welcome to the show, Ian. How are you?
1: Thank you. It's a great pleasure to be with you. Yes, I'm very well. Thank you.
0: There you, there you go. It's wonderful to have you. And hey, uh, America, we just voted over here, and uh, we took a step away from fascism. Are you proud of us? I thought it was a good result, yes. I don't like to comment too much on the internal politics
1: of another country, but we are yes. very quietly pleased with what happened last night, Yeah.
0: yeah. I, all of my friends have been writing me around the world going, H- what the hell's going on over there? What drugs are you on? And, of course, it's fentanyl. So there there you go. Uh, so, Ian, uh, I, I, I understand you don't have some uh, placards on the Internet, but uh, let's plug your book. Where can we find your book? Um, I imagine it's available on Amazon or wherever. I, um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Should be at all good bookshops soon, I suppose, Usual, use your usual good. You sound like you're not really sure you don't trust those book publishers to put it on Amazon. <laughs> Maybe you don't care. Well, I just leave it to them, yes. They want to. You're like, I got paid. If they want to sell it on Amazon, go ahead. Anyway, we're just being funny here. So, Ian, what motivated you want to write this book? You've written a lot of books. How many books have you written, and what motivated you to write this book? Uh,
1: how many books? 15 or 16. There you go. But um, anyway, what I- why I decided to write this book was that I'd, I'd written two, two um, lengthy books in the preceding few years on the history of Europe in the 20th century. And all the people who figure in, the characters who figure in this book, were, of course, in those two volumes. But those are sort of panoramic histories of, of Europe, and I didn't have that much time to deal with the individuals um, in sufficient depths. I decided, in the end, that I'd write a book which looked at the 20th century through the impacts of these individuals, and I chose twelve European individuals uh, to focus upon, and uh, the book arose from that background really.
0: Nice. And uh, so, what can we learn from history? What was what was the uh, what was the scope of the book? Uh, give us some uh, in-depth story. You cover Churchill. Uh, who are some of the other leaders that you cover in the book?
1: Well, no, I, I take it really through the century. So, start with Lenin. Mm-hmm. Lenin. Lenin, Mussolini, Hitler, Stalin, Churchill, de Gaulle, and then onto the post-war oh. era, Adenauer, the leader of West Germany in the immediate post-war era, uh, Franco, the Spanish dictator, hmm. uh, Tito, the Yugoslavian leader, Martin it's Thatcher, uh, the one woman in the, in the book, uh, uh, then uh, Gorbachev, and finally the German chancellor of the 1980s and 90s, Helmut Kohl.
0: Wow. Oh. Now, you—you you, yep. the title of the book is "Personally Empower Builders and Destroyers of Modern Europe." In the scope of that, and the leaders that you profiled, were they? Did you profile them as builders and destroyers, or some of these folks were builders and some of these folks were destroyers?
1: Well, some were obviously destroyers. Um, mm-hmm. I think no further than Hitler in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, some were builders, and you can speak of um, maybe the West German leader Adenauer in the same country. But the Adenauer then built West Germany from scratch, really, after nineteen after nineteen forty five. Um, and um, and some were builders and destroyers. So if you want, you can look at uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, the Soviet leader, the last really? Soviet leader, who um, was a builder of Europe in certain ways. Um, gave many millions of people in Central and Eastern Europe freedom and yet destroyed his own country. So a builder and a destroyer. So each of the three categories figures, I think, elders, destroyers, and both builders and destroyers.
0: There you go. One thing I learned about leaders, whether it's a CEO, I, I, I learned about a lot about leadership and CEOs um, and and builders and destroyers. And uh, one thing I learned is there were some leaders that they have a pension to be able to- Really uh, build, grow things and design things, but they also have a very destructive dark side. Steve Jobs had a dark side. Um, I imagine a lot of the people you uh, talked about in the book, uh, you know, there's the, there's kind of that light side where they're that great leader, great builder, but there's kind of a destruction that almost a destructive sort of, uh, landscape or hurricane that rides behind them in the darkness of, of their personalities that almost sometimes seems to overtake them. They seem to stay one step ahead of it, or sometimes it does overtake them. Is that a good analogy? Uh, yes, I think it is. Um, it, obviously, uh, in this
1: book, I, I, I go a lot into the preconditions of leadership, and crisis is a is a current that runs right through the book. So each of these leaders is a product of crisis, and crisis produces different sorts of leaders, and some of them have um, a dark side, which is subordinate to a positive side, you might say. Someone like uh, Churchill, for instance, we could put it that way. Um, others uh, have obviously a prominent and totally um, uh, comprehensive dark side, which is to their, absolutely to the fore right from the beginning. But well, that's the way we see it uh, historically. At the time, of course, people with what you might call a dark side uh, themselves might be very appealing to large numbers of people, given the nature of the crisis that they're facing. And so, what works in one society doesn't work in the other, but what you can say is that each of these individuals has particular leadership characteristics which are not common to every individual, and those characteristics and insight power lust power um determination, and so on many other characteristics which are often very negative ones uh, can be very positive in a particular com- set of conditions
0: for the audience that that's um is uh, being appealed to there you go so. Did did you find that a lot of these personalities had consistent traits where they, um, we well, you know, did some people really think maybe at the beginning of their run, they were trying to do the right thing? Say maybe Stalin or someone, they were, they were like, you know, I'm trying to do the right thing, trying to build a better company and then, or better, you know, country. And then, uh... And then you know the the whatever their narcissism overwhelms them, or, or they think they're doing good, and they and they end up not, even though uh they think they're trying to do the right thing.
1: Well, someone like Stalin or Hitler, um, they they um they of course they had ideals for what the new society was they were attempting to build, but the negative side was always built into that as well. So right from the beginning, the uh, negativity, the um, yeah. the the exclusion of enemies of that stage or enemies of that people was very prominent in their appeal. And it was a very successful part of their appeal, given the nature of the crisis that they faced at the time. People bought into that, the fact that they wanted to destroy as well as to build.
0: Yeah, there's there's a real destruction quality. And it's really interesting how they st- they seem to stay ahead of it. Like Steve Jobs, was was you know I, he, most people found out about his dark side after he passed and and you know books are written about uh what a jerk he was <laughs> some people kind of knew it that worked with him as he was going but uh um you know th- th- there's this revereness that people have uh, almost hero worship people have to some of these leaders and they don't know the dark side like uh, a example might be might be hitler where uh, a lot of german people either turned a blind eye or didn't understand how how much uh, horror he was uh, committing and uh, when they when we liberated uh nazi germany you know they made the uh, german people watch the videos of of the holocaust and the fallout from the from all the stuff they did and you know made them uh be educated on on what hitler had done and then some of the shine, yeah, I'm sure, came off of their minds that maybe Hitler wasn't that great of a guy for them.
1: Well, just a couple of um, a couple of uh, remarks um, about Hitler, which your comments have just uh in me. One is that um, in free elections, before he came to power, Hitler never won the majority support of the German people. So uh, mm-hmm. the, the most that he won was in 1932, where uh, just over a third of the German people supported him. Mm-hmm. So once he got into power then, of course, the scope was, Available for him to extend this hold of power by destroying his enemies, political enemies first of all, first and foremost, um, and by by um, repression and by monopoly control of the media, he was able to create this image for himself that of the supreme leader of the of the almost deified image, and mm-hmm. that the other dictators as well that once they have power, they're able to have a monopoly control of the mass media to build up this more image of themselves, mm. which a uh, completely fabricated image. Um, so uh, we have to bear that in mind. And, and then um, also uh, the process which develops, There' a radicalizing process that the people in the, in the early 1930s in Germany were fully aware that the Nazi party was an anti-Semitic party, but mm. that didn't get them from voting for it because they saw the Jews as part of the crisis of the, of the part of the evil that they face in their own society. Yeah. completely Complete lunacy, of course, it was not that mm. at all. But that, yeah. that the image which they had. It didn't deter anybody from voting Nazis at that time, who uh, supported generally the aims that Hitler stood for. Later on, of course, the radicalization of those policies then led to the Holocaust. And so once that, after the war, people were only too keen to distance themselves from the horrors which were now being brought home to them, which they realize had taken place uh, with in their in, in their own by their own government with them supporting large not of what that government seems to stand for.
0: Yeah, you'd think that we would have learned over time that politicians, you know, going back eons of time, have always played that game with usually the immigrant. You know, they're like, that new person over there who just showed up, yeah, they're the person who's stealing from you. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, they're, you know, they're picking the pockets of everybody who's looking mm-hmm. over there. Uh, and stealing from them. And we, we don't seem to learn this lesson. You know, the, 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 the the thing you're talking about where people create this false image and the score is leadership and it becomes this cult of personality. It rings really true of what's going on here in America. Um, you write about, uh, you write about, uh, Mussolini. And one of the things that's been echoing through our brain over here in America mm-hmm. is doing this voting in 2022. Is, um, are people willing to give up capitalism for the trains to run on time? Because that was the big thing about fascism. Well, fascism, people are bad and there's some grift, but the trains run on time. The economy works. And that's, I think with Hitler, you know, they wanted the economy to work. They were in, but they were in a bad economy, especially from the post war, uh, World War one fallout. Uh, same with Mussolini. And so, you know, people, in these in these situations are willing to say well if you know if we can have jobs and we can have the trains run on time we'll give up some freedom and then it becomes a slippery slope that's exactly
1: right and um they, which we're seeing in, in of course today with populist leaders today that um you yeah. know the readiness to to um give them support and to put them in positions of power without any possibility then of controlling what they do once they're in power so it's a very dangerous yeah. Very dangerous trend. And yes. um, that's uh, in, in the 1920s and 1930s, when democracy was far flimsier than it is today, then it was even more dangerous. And you gave then scope that Hitler, one of his speeches, I remember, in 1932, 40,000 people there assembled for one of his open-air speeches. And he, he said very openly, I'm going to destroy democracy. I'm going to sweep it away, sweep all the parties away. And the crowd cheered like mad. Uh, wow. So. There a very popular message, you see. And as you said, the notion that somebody will put things to put things right for you in the depths of a crisis, some great hero will come along and put things right for you, will will rescue the nation. It's a very dangerous message.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. Hi, folks. Here's Vaz here with a little station break. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. We'll resume here in a second. Uh, I'd like to invite you to come to my coaching, speaking And training courses website. You can also see our new podcast over there at chrisvossleadershipinstitute.com. Over there, you can find all the different stuff that we do for speaking engagements. If you'd like to hire me, uh, training courses that we offer and coaching for leadership, management, entrepreneurism, uh, podcasting, corporate stuff. Uh, with over 35 years of experience in business and running companies as a CEO, uh, I think I can offer a wonderful breadth of information information and knowledge to you or anyone that you want to invite me to for your company. Thanks for tuning in. We certainly appreciate you listening to the show and be sure to check out Chris Voss Now back to the show. Uh would it was Pinochet a consideration for this book? It seems like he would be a good addition, but you know, you, you, you only have so much time to write and size. Would Pinochet have been a good uh, add to this book or
1: yes he could have been. I'm I'm so so, with other non-European leaders, I, I mm-hmm. we wrestle with these thoughts for quite some time. And uh, one of them that I particularly concerned me was whether or not I shouldn't include uh, Roosevelt in this, uh-huh. because he wow. obviously played a significant part in the Second World War in in Europe and contributed to the reshaping of Europe after the Second World War. Um, I thought about it, and, and I decided in the end that I would. Uh, I I had to concentrate really on European mm-hmm. leaders. Um and so my criterion was that they should be leaders of European leaders of government or the state. Mm-hmm. And I just well, if I then start including Pinochet or Roosevelt or anybody else without Mao Zedong and so on, the book would become would become en- endless. It's
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say you can say this for book two and three. But no, that makes sense. Uh I mean Europe has been the central uh, format for a lot of this stuff in the shaping of the world, especially in the 20th century, and uh, uh, everything that's gone on uh, there. Uh, what were some, uh, was there any stories or any things that you learned that you didn't know about that are in the book that we can tease out that you were you were kind of surprised by? You were like, wow, I didn't know about that.
1: Well, um, I've I worked on this stuff for a long time, so there was no sort of earth-shattering thing that I thought I've never occurred to me before. But, um, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I, I did learn new things about, um, I think, about each of the leaders that I was dealing with. Maybe not Hitler, but the other ones. Got Hitler, I'd written specialized works on. Oh, it, yeah. But on, on, on the yeah. others, I think I learned something new. But the one who in, who I think I learned most about was Tito, since um, apart from giving lectures in universities, so I'd never done anything on Tito before. Yeah. And a lot of intriguing character who um, fought. In in, during World War II, fought in as a war leader uh, and also a civil war leader because he was up against enemies within his own state. And then his his exploits as a war leader brought him to power in Yugoslavia. He almost single-handedly held that regime together for the next uh, 30-odd years. And when he died in 1980, the thing was already starting to crumble and then crumbled within 10 years of his death to this state where Yugoslavia ceased to exist and where where it fell apart in, in, in warfare, so his <laughs> legacy was extremely short. But the shortest of his legacy demonstrates the importance of his of his individual contribution to history. So I think probably I learned most uh, that was new about
0: Tito. Is there something as, as you wrote about these leaders? Is there something that voters need to know or need to watch out for better? You you mentioned earlier on. Uh, you know the the personality uh the faux personality the glorification personality the the uh the worshiping the cult of personality sort of image that these people put on themselves do do you find that most of these leaders are narcissists and then are there things that voters should watch out for?
1: Yes they are Egocentrism, bordering on narcissism is a is a characteristic characteristic feature of uh practically all of these individuals even mm-hmm. Even the ones in democracies have this element in their character. Yeah. So that's absolutely right. And I think what should, what voters today should really be look out for at the ball is actually to be really extremely critical of everything that they read that political leaders say, be actually yeah. critical and cynical about it and, and disbelieve most things yeah. that are said. And um, especially now in the age of um, fake news and social media, I think it's more than ever important that people um, are critical. About the stuff that they read and uh, what politicians say, especially if they're offering what seem to be um, panacea solutions for really complex problems that we all face in our societies.
0: Yeah, we saw that over here. Just inject bleach, and everything will be fine. Uh, you know, the, the, it was crazy. You know, you, it, you 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 really got to see what 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 happens when um, uh, fascist sort of grift and corruption. Uh, are able to run rampant, uh is the you know as you study these folks we have a lot of great journalists that come on the show they've written books and you know they they go to the white house and they they interview um uh you know the press and everything over there um is is one of the big core elements really true for america that the press and the protection of the press that's given under our first amendment is one of the things that is Kept this uh, has kept uh, our, our thing uh, uh, going as opposed to some of these other countries that you wrote about.
1: Uh, the protection of the press and the freedom of speech are absolutely essential parts of a of, uh, democracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, where they start to become a problem is in the extremes of free of speech, which which you can find now in, the so- in social media, which can be very mm-hmm. harmful. So yeah. it's a real, a moral question as to where then, if at all you draw the line with free speech, is any sort of speech permissible? Well, it isn't, is it even there? Because we prevent certain forms of hate speech, even, even as we, as we speak. Um, and so, uh, we, that is really one of the big ethical problems of today's societies, I think, where we actually, um, draw the line, especially on social media. But, it, but in essence, free speech, as you quite rightly say, is is pivotal to the um, to the sort of power that a modern democracy has, and has kept those modern democracies uh, in business. Whereas, if you look at when a dictatorship comes to power and authoritarian rule, the first thing they do is to block free speech and to prevent opponents of that regime from having their say. So, free speech is absolutely essential as the basis of democracy,
0: and in the protection of that in the constitution. You know, we we saw the same sort of thing that I believe. Uh, Hitler was up to or Goebbels was up to where we started getting called fake news and, uh, you know, don't believe, don't trust what's what's going on in the media. We've got, of course, some state media with Fox News and stuff. One thing that was interesting you brought up is how, you know, we should limit certain amounts of, of hate speech or certain amounts of really, there 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 is a point where free speech is free and there's a point where we need to say, hey, we can't have that. And that's kind of an argument that's going on here in America uh, with the, uh, you know, the advent of Twitter, if you've been following that and how yeah. we, uh, you, Elon Musk has taken that over and he believes in free speech and that any should, anyone should be able to say anything. Um, and then when you study, and I'm sure you have with your study of Germany and Hitler, you know, over in Germany, you can't say certain things. You can't even raise your hand and and, and do the the Hitler sign. Uh, you know, they ban that, you know, there's free speech, but there's certain elements of hate speech that go too far. And one thing I was recently, and so this discussion has been going on in America, and I'm, I'm sure it plays into the study of what you wrote about. Uh, but I, I was exposed recently to this thing from Karl Popper, if you're familiar with him, the paradox of tolerance. And I thought it was interesting, and he talks about how unlimited tolerance can lead to the disappearance of tolerance, and that we need to have... As a tolerant society, we can have free speech, but we we cannot tolerate the intolerant people. What 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 are some some of your thoughts on that? From what you wrote about in the book, and does do we need to have? Does that need to be an important thing that we say? Hey, it's great that we have free speech, but once we start being intolerant, once we start saying you know ugly things, you know this person is the problem, that person is the problem. You know, we start we start saying we we can't have these people around, et cetera, et cetera. It, that becomes intolerant and dangerous.
1: I, I think I think the question of where you draw the line in free speech has become one of the major ethical problems in in every uh, functioning liberal democracy today, and um, it 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 it's one which is very difficult to define in an abstract sense. But we have to have levels of intolerance. Towards the unspeakable, really, and we—I I think in practice we do that already. There are certain things that we wouldn't want to have um, said on on whatever media in front of our children or grandchildren or something. Certain things which we would draw the line at with personal attacks on other individuals, on minorities, on on women, on ethnic minorities, and so on. So we have that already implicit in our in our own minds. The question is where you draw the line in any legislation on that. Mm-hmm. Oh, you don't want to prevent people from speaking out and the freedom of speech, which, as we just said, is is absolutely essential for the functioning of a democracy. On the other hand, we can't have that giving rise to such intolerable um, expressions that they are really then creating, destroying the very thing we want to preserve. So it is really a thorny issue, but one which the the prevalence of, of um, the, of social media uh, is as as give rise to in a way which didn't really exist to anything like the same extent beforehand.
0: Yeah, and we've learned that through you know what you've written about in the study of of Europe, uh, Hitler, Mussolini, and other things that how dangerous this speech can be because it spreads and it infects. And you know we we recently saw with Kanye West where he made some comments about Jewish people that were hate, hateful and anti-Semitic, and within. 24 hours we saw people putting up hate speech against jewish people on freeways and so it you, yeah. you see how immediately it spreads and infectious and it gives people license to be hateful but i, I like the carl popper thing i that i just recently was exposed to because i'm like that seems to be the level of where where when we say you're being intolerant of someone else and you want to destroy them or remove them then that's probably a problem in America, we've had this thing called cancel culture where almost any idea uh, or trying yes. to debate an idea has become you know, deemed intolerable sometimes by our blue left wing class of the Democrats that I'm part of. Uh, you know, they, they get shouted down at college. Then I mean, there's certain elements that need for debate, but then there's certain times where you're just pointing at someone and going, I hate you. And here's some yeah. hate speech and stuff. Um, what uh? What are what are the lessons or tease outs? Do you think people learn from the book? Uh, the lessons that well, sorry, were there uh, lessons uh, or little tease out tidbits? Any any stories that you want to share from the book that entice people to go buy it?
1: Well, I I think you you've hit upon a number of a number of issues there, which which arise from working on the 20th century, which have a different salience in the 21st century. There was no there were no social media then, but they what they thank goodness, but the notion of what goals would have made of social media, I've got no way would have be been a, a help or in certain ways a handicap in other ways, I suppose. But then they, the monopoly control of the press then uh, highlighted some of the issues you've just been talking about. But what what issues can we, uh, what, what points can we draw from this book about the 21st century? Well, um, I, I think I've already alluded to them, the need to be very careful and critical in uh, understanding so in, in reading social media, using social media, both in terms of tolerance of speech, but also in terms of understanding the political messages which have been which have been uh, distributed through social media. And it was bad enough when you had a, 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 a normal print media that were telling lies and so on all the time. But now with social media, where, as you just said an issue can be raised and then within within seconds or minutes of the latest then they can be spreading like wildfire on social media and it poses real problems for today's politicians and also as you say the, the council culture which has cropped the pond, as with us here in, in Britain too. Um mm. it's really a, a very dangerous notion there that's um that you you have difficulties in expressing views which uh, which are um rejected by some people and therefore they want to stop you said expressing those views at all on the other hand there have to be certain things where you again you have to draw the line we're back to the issue of what it means Mm -hmm.
0: and then you have politicians that use that as a weapon they weaponize it and spread the lies around the world um and there you go mark twain the famous quote a lie can travel around the world and back again while the truth is lacing up its boots um (laughs) I think there's another version of that attributed to Churchill, but, uh, but it is Mark Twain. Uh, Winston Churchill, like it's halfway around the world before the truth has a chance to get its pants on, is attributed to Churchill. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing how well, how fast hate can spread on these social media forums, how fast lies can spread. You know, we've seen, we've seen, we've even seen gunmen that have gone and shot up places in terrorist activities and broadcast on social media and there's by the time the the social media companies can you know stop it squelch it censor it so that 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 sort of ugliness isn't shared it's too late it's already it's already gone around the world a million times everyone's seen it and been exposed to it and i think i think your point is really important we have to be each of us the best arbitrators of history and what's come before us and understand what 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 the angles are i mean I, I grew up in religion so to me when you come at me with anything i go what's your angle what are you what are you what are you selling what are you what's your motivation what are you? what are we what are we up to here that's kind of how my whole build is with my brain but most people don't have that they they seem to be more just open vessels of whatever politicians want to dump it in their brain they go okay
1: well, people generally speaking want to have their, their own daily problems solved, don't they? And if, mm-hmm. if the problems are severe and, um, it seems as if our democratic society is not providing answers for those, those, um, daily problems that they face, then they will look for someone or something which does offer the, the seeming solution. And mm-hmm. often solutions are very simplistic ones, which don't, um, don't last the, of climate will then fade as soon as uh, as soon as they, they they come up against reality. But they are they are they attract large swathes of support as you've just been saying through social media now in particular. But well, as you see from these uh, historical examples that we've been talking about, really in the case of uh, um, of the rise to power of the Nazi Party in Germany, then even without social media, there was a possibility then of attracting. Large numbers of people by hate speech, by political hate speech, because the problems that people faced in their daily lives were acute, and they wanted a solution. They were prepared then to trust that solution to Hitler with devastating, mm. catastrophic effect.
0: One of the most extraordinary things about Hitler was that a lot of the Nazi people knew what was going on. And one of the historians that we had come on, you you probably have covered it. The German people would have the ash fall into their cities. From the um, from from the uh, Holocaust ovens, and they knew what was going on. They knew that was ash of of Jews, and they would they would keep the children home for the day. They would sweep it up, and and the that that that's just one thing that's always stuck with me when I heard about that. I was like, my God, the inhumanity and and the horror of of that. And I can't remember they would call it a certain. There was a term they had for it when the ash would fall. But, but, you, I'm sorry, the, just a little bit careful about that,
1: though, because, mm-hmm. um, the concentration camps were set up in Germany. They were meant to be known about. They were to, um, to, uh, incarcerate enemies of the state and so within Germany. The death camps, uh, were placed out in, um, in mainly in Poland. Oh, and, and so it, when Germany had conquered parts of Poland, of course, uh, quite the, uh, that were taken over by the Soviet Union, so um, they, there were places there, um, such as the, the the town that comes to Auschwitz, where they were they could not have been but aware of of the numbers of prisoners that were going to Auschwitz. But Auschwitz was a long way from somewhere like Cologne, for example. So um, when they from Cologne said they had no idea that, that what was going on in Auschwitz, they might have been telling the truth. They might not. It's difficult to know, of course, because after the war, people told a very uh apologetic stories about what was going on. But uh but it's also um it, we, we can't just presume that these death counts were necessarily widely known amongst the entirety of the German population. That's the only point. Yeah.
0: yeah. There's the the old saying by Dennis Miller, no one finds Christ in on prom night in the back of the in the back of the car. Um it's only when you've, you know, been found out as committing a crime that people go, oh well, no, I apologize. You know, the earlier, your, to your earlier point, you bring up that people want their daily problems solved. They want their, they want, you know, uh, I, I'm always reminded by that scene from the movie network where I just want my, my lazy boy recliner and I want my TV and I want my beer and I want you to leave me alone. I want my radial tires. Just for the love of God, please give me some space, you know, uh, and there, there comes a point where people break. But, you know, we, we just went through that moment as a, as a, if you're, if you're looking at what we're going through, you know, the Republicans were talking about pulling back from, uh, Ukraine, the Ukraine and our funding of it. Uh, I'm sure that Putin was sitting there going, Ha, ha. And we were sitting here as a democracy going, are people going to vote for the trains to run on time in a fascist government or are they going to, say, we're going to tighten our belt, we're going to take some gas prices, we're going to take some inflation, and we're going to vote for the Constitution, and it appears that they largely did across the board, Uh, the Republicans are stunned. And it was interesting to me that the day after, uh, Putin says he's retreating and has also been signaling, you know, negotiating, and, you know, how much, whatever that is, you know, you can put stock in whatever, but... But it was interesting to me that that was his announcement the day after, and I don't think it would have been the same announcement if things had gone with the huge red wave that we were anticipating. But it, it speaks to what you were saying. You know, uh, people people will sometimes be willing to sell out their freedoms for for uh, a good paycheck.
1: Yes, well, um, so far, anyway, it's been very heartening to see what's. Um solidarity there's been in europe as well as in the western world more generally um in support of ukraine uh we we are being put under some sort of test aren't we in every country with what people will tolerate in the long regard to energy prices and the rest of it but so far anyway resilience has been very strong and the readiness to support ukraine and as you said um the implications for the war and for the outcome of the war be seen let's let's hope for the best in that and at the minute it's still impossible to say how this will war how this war will come to an end but wars normally end through some sort of settlement or negotiated um, truce or peace and um, i'll be surprised if this one doesn't end in the same way eventually
0: you know i'm sure you wrote in the book about or you've, you've you've talked about in your prior books about how that had they tried to appease Hitler by going, well, you know, give him, what was it, Czechoslovakia or Yugoslavia or they, there was a, you know, initially with countries, they're like, well, you know, let him have that one. Just let him appease him. And as you mentioned earlier, we've done a very different approach with Ukraine where we've said, no, no Moss, no quarter. um, We're not giving you that country. And we, we, we saw, and I believe there was data and intelligence laid out that he, he intended to continue if he, if he took Ukraine.
1: Yes, it, it's. It, yeah, I think the use of these um, historical terms to um, describe what's going on in today's world is sometimes a, a, a problem, and um, uh, we we see that uh, along the line that we're always very anxious. Say, Putin and another Hitler? Is it the same as Hitler? Is the same? Um, and, and it may be best just to say, "Well, we can." We history shows us how we've got where we are. History can show. To some extent, it can help us to understand where Putin is coming from and what his his own views are on this and how he's going to proceed. But to to use jobs like appeasement uh, with regards to today's dealings with Putin might be misleading because, after all, uh, we've just been talking about the differences between the 20th and 21st century when it comes to social media and media in general. But if we look at weapons, the obvious difference is that Putin has got nuclear weapons. <laughs> um, and so it seems to me that the, the line that the West has been taking, which is offering uh, a lot of support for, 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 um, for Zelensky and for Ukraine, um, but falling short of, of, of any intervention within Russia itself, which might provoke a disastrous response, has been although, a very rational and sensible one. And I hope that we can keep that up, and uh, signs that it's paying some some dividends. And let's hope that um, Ukraine prevails in this in this war against Putin. But I think um, I'm just a little bit against these uh, anachronistic comparisons. <clears> of <throat> something happened in the 20th century, let's just extrapolate from that and say this is what we need to do today or what we don't need to do today. There you a go. different place there.
0: There you go. But what do you think about Italy? have written about Mussolini. What do you think about Italy returning to Mussolini's party 50, what is it, 50, 70, 100 years later?
1: Well, it, it, it's not exactly doing um Georgia Maloney has a neo-fascist past. Everybody's aware of that. But she is now uh, taken over as the head of government in Italy. Um, oh. Some difficulty in forming a coalition uh, in itself that may be a good thing to prevent some mm-hmm. um, really pro-fascist tendencies from, from taking over. Um, governments in Italy tend to be uh, of short duration, and it may be that Giorgio Maloney uh, is also able to form a government only of brief duration. Mm. And then also, Italy today, like Italy in Mussolini's time, is part of the European Union, which offers its own constraints on the exercise of power. Oh. So... You know, so, uh, and, and Georgia Maloney now actually, she was very anti European Union at one time, but she's now actually, um, backtracked a little bit on that and there's making compromises there too. So, um, it, it's, it, it's not, it's not a very, um, appealing, um, development in Italy. That's putting it very mildly. And Georgia Melonia and her government can do some damage, doubtless, to a number of policies in, in Italy, but, I'm sort of slightly optimistic nonetheless that the democratic constraints will prevail and prevent her from from um from uh entertaining particularly harmful policies. That's weird. Yeah. I mean i we I was just about to add that we, we have the example in uh in Central Europe of Hungary, which claims to be an illiberal democracy and oh. ha- very populist and and some very unattractive tendencies indeed. And is a thorn in the side of the European Union, but I think, with luck, anyway, the Maloney experiment will come and go, and no lasting or massive damage will have been incurred. But I, that's that's my hope, rather than um, any any pro- prognosis. Before.
0: Yeah, I mean, Brazil and us—we just dodged a bullet by the thinness of margins, yeah. and uh, hopefully, we can maintain that. And uh, I think the youth finally stepped in to vote which is important because it's yeah. their future and uh, they see things very differently than the older generation. My generation does a lot of my generation was still came up in that kind of racist era. And, and uh I, I washed myself of it years, decades ago, but it's seems really like some of my other folks in my age range didn't. So there you go. Well, this has been very insightful. I really encourage people to read your book because the one thing man can learn from his history is a man never learns from his history. And thereby we just go round and round. That's uh, my favorite quote that I, I run it's off. Um, any anything more you want to tease out or touch on about the book?
1: Well, I'm very grateful for this chance to talk to you about it and talk about other things. And I have to say, as regards to the midterm elections, that uh, I think Europeans in general um, are very, um, very glad that the the results came out in the direction that they did. Um mm. That, um, that offers good hope for democracy in in the USA, and that's the most important democracy in the world. So crucial that the American Constitution survives and thrives, and that democracy continues to be um, uh, a model for the rest of the world, and rather rather than a possible uh, a possible horror story. So I, I'm cautious and optimistic now about the developments in America.
0: There you go. What do you think about uh, what's going on there? You know where you guys have been using. Uh... Ten Downing Street is an Airbnb. What's going on over there in Europe? This uh, that going well, to settle down or what? For sure is that uh,
1: that there won't be a chapter on any any subsequent bottomless but, but trust. So uh, it's it's been uh, it's been a uh, I mean a political pantomime and on um, great great political sport, no doubt. But it's been our country that's being ruined in the process. That's the thing. Yes. Um, we we need we need some stability. We need some sensible. Grown up politicians to do some uh, grown up things I think and get away oh. from all this nonsense
0: there you go there you go maybe maybe the brexit thing was a bad idea at this point maybe that's a maybe that's the call my view not just at this point in my view but,
1: but, but one thing, i mean the, the deciding what are the what are the negative consequences of brexit have been has been difficult to establish because since then we've had COVID, we've had over the pandemic, and we've now had the war in Ukraine, so both of those had very negative impacts upon upon British and European politics and economics and so trying to decipher precisely from when that, what the impacts of COVID, uh, brexit has been has been quite difficult, but I was a very staunch opponent of brexit at the time it remains of this day,
0: yeah, well, it seems like a lot of the players are starting to fall out that that were the proponents mm-hmm. of it they they're starting to fail out and and uh yeah. Hopefully, I mean, it's been, it's been a very bad few years. So hopefully we survived them. Knock on wood. It's been a big
1: crisis for the last 15 [SS1] years. There
0: you go. Well, we want to give you more books you can write. So we'll make more history. How's that sound? Well, Ian, it's been uh, an honor to have you on the show, sir. We certainly appreciate you coming on and your insightful mind. I really encourage people to read the book. I learned so much from historians. I love reading history books and we have, we've had a lot of historians on the show. And it's so important to understand what's going on in your world today and what politicians are up to, what power is up to, what leaders of business are up to, uh, you know, by studying the past, by studying leaders in the past and what they've done. Of course, you profiled uh, Churchill in my book, which is a big favorite of mine. Love Churchill. Uh, anyway, thank you very much for coming on, Ian. We really appreciate it.
1: Great pleasure. I enjoyed talking to you.
0: There you go. And uh, be sure to uh, order up the book, guys, wherever fine books are sold. Stay on those alleyway bookstores. They're a bit dangerous. But go wherever fine books are sold. Order up the book, Personality and Power, Builders and Destroyers of Modern Europe by Ian Kershaw. Sir Ian Kershaw, that is, uh, to those of you in the British realm. Uh, and uh, thank you for coming by, everybody. We certainly appreciate it. Go to YouTube.com, Fortress Goodreads.com, chess for Chris all those crazy places we are on the internet. It's- Be good to each other, stay safe, and we'll see you guys next time. And that should have us out.